Welcome back to Fundamentally Mormon. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. This is part of the Zion's Redemption Radio Network. Today we're going to be reading Chapter 3 of Michael Adam. The chapter title is Blood and Mortality. We'll be reading pages 29 through 35. The reader program will read it first. It's about 15 minutes long, and then I'll read it with commentary. Thank you for listening. Blood Immortality, Chapter 3 of Michael Adam, pages 29 to 35. The basis of understanding the Adam God doctrine consists of comprehending the nature of the fall. This doctrine simply explains the changing of an immortal body to a mortal body. When a resurrected immortal being partakes of the coarse and corporal elements of the earth, the fluid in their veins is induced with the seeds of mortality or death, which is in the blood. Blood is strictly a mortal fluid, and its composition of mortal or temporal ingredients is obtained by eating earthly elements. When a person partakes of the tree of good and evil, he is partaking of the tree of mortality and death. Since the fruit and food of the earth come from vegetation, which is subject to only a few years of life, then any body which is charged with these properties will also become subject to death. Food from Mother Earth, in her present state, will produce blood within a mortal or immortal body. Blood is a mortal or temporal fluid and therefore cannot be resurrected, for the prophet Joseph Smith declared, flesh and blood cannot go there but flesh and bones, quickened by the Spirit of God, can. TPJSP 326 When our flesh is quickened by the Spirit, there will be no blood in this tabernacle. TPJSP 367 30 Paul, the Apostle had declared the same when he said that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. I call. 1550. This is the secret of the doctrine of immortality and mortality in the fall of Adam. While blood represents mortality, another substance flows in the veins of immortal beings. This was taught by Brigham Young, for he explained that such a transformation occurred during the death and resurrection of the Savior Jesus Christ. The blood he spilled upon Mount Calvary he did not receive again into his veins. That was poured out, and when he was resurrected, another element took the place of the blood. It will be so with every person who receives a resurrection. The blood will not be resurrected with the body, being designed only to sustain the life of the present organization. When that is dissolved, and we again obtain our bodies by the power of the resurrection, that which we now call the life of the body, and which is formed from the food we eat and the water we drink will be supplanted by another element. For flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Journal of Discourses 7, 163 Amalkaizedic Priesthood Manual in 1948 advocated this generally accepted doctrine of the Church. There was no blood in his, Adam's, body, but he had a spiritual body until it was changed by the fall. A spiritual body is one which is not quickened by blood, 
but by spirit. Before the fall, Adam had a physical, tangible body of flesh and bones, but it was not quickened by blood. Church History and Modern Revelation, Volume 2, p. 5. This had also been taught in 1909 in the Lehona, or Elders Journal, an LDS Church publication. 31. Question. As Adam was an immortal being when placed here on earth and commanded to multiply, would not his offspring have been immortal but for the fall? MPF, Logan, Utah. Answer, yes. But they would have had spiritual bodies only and not bodies of flesh, blood and bone. When Adam and Eve were first placed in the Garden of Eden, they had resurrected bodies, in which there was no blood. A spiritual fluid or substance circulated in their veins instead of blood. Consequently, they had not power to beget children with tabernacles of flesh, such as human beings possess. The fall caused a change in their bodies, which, while it rendered them mortal, at the same time gave them power to create mortal bodies of flesh, blood and bone for their offspring. This is a very brief explanation of a very important subject. Lehona, Volume 6, 33. It has been taught that God once had blood, then was resurrected to immortality without blood. Man is the offspring of God. We can fully realize this. Our Heavenly Father orders all things that pertain to this earth and a multitude of worlds of which we are ignorant. We are as much the children of this great being as we are the children of our mortal progenitors. We are flesh of his flesh, bone of his bone, and the same fluid that circulates in our bodies, called blood, once circulated in his veins as it does in ours. Brigham Young, Journal of Discourses 9, 283 Shall we, by the atonement, be restored into the condition Adam was in before he fell? I answer, you will be. What condition was he in? He was an immortal being, and you will be restored to immortality, whether you be saints or sinners. The decree has gone forth that every man is to be raised to immortality. Then you will be as Adam was in the Garden of Eden before he fell. Ursin Pratt, Journal of Discourses 7, 257. Compare Journal of Discourses 21, 203, 32. Understanding the nature of blood, in relation to man's immortality, is necessary to comprehend the doctrine that Brigham Young was teaching. The forbidden tree, says Brigham, contained in its fruit the elements of death, or the elements of mortality. By eating of it, blood was again infused into the tabernacles of beings who had become immortal. The basis of mortal generation is blood. Without blood no mortal can be born. Even could immortals have been conceived on earth, the trees of life had made but the paradise of the few. But mortal world was the object of creation then. Eve partook of that supper of the Lord's death first. She ate of that body and drank of that blood. 
be it to Adam's eternal credit that he stood by and let our mother end dash our ever blessed mother event dash partake of the sacrifice before himself. Adam followed the mother's example, for he was great and grand and dash a father worthy indeed of the world. He was wise, too. For the blood of life is the stream of mortality. Women of Mormondom, Talaj, 198-99, we are taught that Adam possessed a physical, tangible body of flesh and bones. Therefore, he must have been a resurrected being. A resurrected, celestialized body can propagate only spirit children. The problem at this point is to introduce the seeds of death into his body so that he might propagate mortal bodies for his spirit children. The human race needed a mortal father to initiate mortals here on earth. Since Adam did not possess the seeds of death, it was necessary for him to infuse them into his system. This could be accomplished only by partaking of the coarser elements of mortal food, thus materializing blood into his system. Mortal food was considered the tree of good and evil, but what would have been the result if he would have again partaken of that tree of life, which is the celestial food of resurrected beings? 33. And now, lest he put forth his hand, and partake also of the tree of life, and eat, and live forever. Therefore, I, the Lord God, will send him forth from the garden of Eden. General 328-29, INSP Those Immortal beings who partake of mortal food for a long period of time will again become mortal. Conversely, all mortal or immortal beings who partake of the spiritual food from that tree of life will become immortalized or translated and not be subject to death. Alma 42, 5 Adam's mission was to step down into mortality for a thousand years and bear mortal children, and thus become the father of the human race. When his mission was fulfilled, it is said that he died. However, the scriptures also tell us that Moses died in Dash but we read that he was probably translated and consequently avoided the grave. Alma 45, 19, death in this instance meant to depart which can be said of either entering the grave or being translated. Whether we be buried in a grave or enter paradise as Adam, Moses, Enoch or Elijah, it is a death to the continuation of mortality. As Adam completed his mission, he would again partake of the tree of life and return to his previous immortal state. President, Bessie, Kimball infers that it is what happened to Adam. I had been to the altar where Adam offered sacrifices and blessed his sons and then left them on went to heaven. Journal of Discourses 12, 188, and Brigham Young said the same thing. When Adam and Eve got through with their work in this earth, they did not lay their bodies down in the dust, but returned to the spirit world from which they came. Old John Nuttall Journal, 121, if Adam was immortal as we are, he would have gone to paradise until Christ was resurrected. This would not be so if 34 he were a celestial being. A celestial body cannot literally die, 
for it is not in the economy of heaven for such a celestial resurrected body to ever again enter a grave. Adam is accredited with just such a body. When our father Adam came into the Garden of Eden, he came into it with a celestial body. Brigham Young, Journal of Discourses 150, Michael was a celestial, resurrected being, of another world. Women of Mormondom, p. 179, from a lecture prepared and delivered by the Apostle Joseph E. Taylor, in the Logan Temple, June 2, 1888, he said, All that Father Adam did upon this earth, from the time that he took up his abode in the Garden of Eden, was done for his posterity's sake and the success of his former mission as the Savior of the world, and afterwards, or now, as the Father of the world only added to the glory which he already possessed. If, as the Savior of the world, he had the power to lay down his life and take it up again, therefore as the Father of the world which is altogether an advanced condition, we necessarily conclude that the grave was powerless to hold him after that mission was completed. Yes. Weekly, December the 29th, 1888, Brigham Young exclaimed that the fall of Adam was a necessary part of the gospel plan, and he knew all about it before he came to this earth. In my fullest belief, it was the design of the Lord that Adam should partake of the forbidden fruit, and I believe that Adam knew all about it before he came to this earth. I believe there was no other way leading to thrones and dominions only for him to transgress, or take that position which transgression alone could place man in, to descend below all things, that they might ascend to thrones, principalities, and powers. For 35, they could not ascend to that eminence without first descending, nor upon any other principle. Journal of Discourses 2, 302 the fall of Adam was neither an accident, nor a mistaken sin, but an integral part of the gospel plan. This plan was proposed, designed, and enacted upon, previous to the foundation of this world. And since Jesus was appointed to become the Lamb slain from before the foundation of the world, Rev. 13, 8, it proves that the fall of Adam and the redemption of Christ were predestined. Adam's fall was the essential violation of the laws of health by introducing the elements of mortality into an immortal system. Blood would be supplanted in his veins, and with it would come the seeds of death and mortality. So Adam introduced death. Christ would introduce the resurrection. The blood of Adam provided mortality. The blood of Christ would purchase immortality. 36, Chapter 4, The Law of Propagation Okay, I'll read it with my commentary now. Hold on here. Oops. Alright. Blood and Mortality Chapter 3 of Michael Adam, pages 29 through 35. The basis of understanding the Adam-God doctrine consists of comprehending the nature of the fall. This doctrine simply explains the changing of an immortal body 
to a mortal body. When a resurrected, immortal being partakes of the coarse and corporal elements of the earth, the fluid in the, their veins is intra, or induced with the seeds of mortality or death, which is in the blood. Blood is strictly a mortal fluid, and its composition of mortal and temporal ingredients is obtained by eating earthly elements. When a person partakes of the tree of good and evil, he is partaking of the tree of mortality and death, since the fruit and food of the earth come from vegetation which is subject to only a few years of life, then anybody which is charged with these proprieties or properties will also become subject to death. <clears throat> food from Mother Earth in her present state, will produce blood within a, mor- a mortal or immortal body. So I guess that's why Jesus can't drink of the fruit of the vine until we come into the kingdom and the marriage supper of the Lamb. I mean, I'm just, I don't know, it just popped up in my head. Uh, well, I don't know. Anyway, blood is a mortal or temporal fluid and therefore cannot be resurrected. For the prophet Joseph Smith declared, quote, flesh and blood cannot go there, but flesh and bones quickened by the Spirit of God can. Teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith, page 326. When our flesh is quickened by the Spirit, there will be no blood in this tabernacle. Teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith, page 367 and we're on page 30 Paul the apostle had declared the same when he said that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 50 this is the secret of the doctrine of immortality and mortality in the fall of Adam while blood represents mortality Another substance flows in the veins of mortal beings. This was taught by Brigham Young, for he explained that such a transformation occurred during the death and resurrection of the Savior, Jesus Christ. The blood he spilled on Mount Calvary, he did not receive again into his veins. That was poured out, and when he was resurrected, Another element took the place of the blood. It will it will be so that every person who receives a resurrection, the blood will not be resurrected with the body, being designed only to st- sustain the life of the president or the present organization. Sorry, I have stammering lips. <laughs> I try really hard. But anyway, you know, it's interesting. Um, years and years and years ago, Heavenly Father told me that I needed to practice reading out loud. And he didn't tell me why. But like back then, I couldn't read out loud to save my life. And I practiced for, I don't know, 10 years before I ever did my first podcasting. You know, like, and I started podcasting in 2012 
excuse me, on somebody else's platform and uh, internet radio show. And then in 2000, January of 2014, I started my own um, program called The Kingdom of God or Nothing. And then, um, and now this is the program that I do now, but I read books out loud for years on audio cassette so that I could um, practice reading out loud and also listen to the textbooks that I was taking in college and other things I wanted to learn. So anyway, let's get back into the reading. It will be so very, uh, so with every person who receives a resurrection, the blood will not be resurrected with the body being designed only to sustain the life of the present organization when that is dissolved and we again obtain our bodies by the power of the resurrection that which we now call the life of the body and which is formed from the food we eat and the water and we drink will be supplanted by another element for flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Journal of Discourses, Volume 7, page 163. A Melchizedek Priesthood Manual in 1948 advocated this generally accepted doctrine of the church. Quote, there was no blood in his or Adam's body, but he had a spiritual body until it was changed by the fall. A spiritual body is one which is not quickened by blood, but by spirit. Well, that's interesting. I'll I'll finish the quote and then I'm going to talk about something. Before the fall, Adam had a physical, tangible body of flesh and bones, but it was not quickened by blood. Church History and Modern Revelation, Volume 2, page 5. Okay, so the only reason I say that's interesting is because... um, I won't name names, but uh, I'll name first names. There's a man by the name of Dustin, and he and I differ on some things about uh, quotes. Uh, And the quote is that um, Joseph Smith stated that God or the, the Holy Ghost was yet a spiritual body. And, well, we both agree that he was in the spirit but well no how does this go he believes that Joseph Smith is the Holy Ghost and I'm like um, how can he be the Holy Ghost when in section 130 Jesus tells Joseph Smith that the, the father and the son have tangible bodies but the the Holy Spirit is a body of spirit. Like, he doesn't have a body, at least at that time. And this quote that I'm talking about, that Joseph Smith said, along with another quote, it shows that God the Witness had not yet taken a body and was in the spirit at the time of Joseph Smith. So how can Joseph Smith be God the Witness? And anyway, so we get into some things about uh, semantics with words like um, I believe that when it talks about the Holy Spirit being in a state of probation, which if he should perform in righteousness, should come to do the same or similar things that Jesus had done. 
I believe that this word probation and the word estate are the same words in the scriptures, but it's hard to know because in Greek, that, that's where we get um, Paul talking about the, uh, oh, what do you call it? Um, oh, it's slipping my mind. It's like right there on the end of my tongue. Paul, well, let me turn this down. That was too loud. Anyway, but um, gosh, it's right there. I'm like looking at the scripture in my mind because I haven't visualized. I can't. I don't know where it is. It's like right there and I just can't bring it out. Anyway, but basically we're talking about states of probation. Oh, the first estate, that's what it is. Anyway, I, I believe when Paul talks about the first estate and the second estate, he's talking about the premortal existence and the or this existence and that the first estate was a time of probation when uh, we were given a plan between the plan of salvation and the plan of damnation that we at that point were given a choice and we had a state of probation and that when joseph smith said that the god the witness or the holy ghost is yet in a state of probation which if he should perform in righteousness should come to do the same or similar things that jesus did that means that the holy ghost was yet a spirit being which joseph smith said that the that god the witness or the holy ghost is yet a spiritual being spiritual being which if he should perform in righteousness, or no, well, it's just, it's about the same. Anyway, but like, but my friend Dustin wants to try to tell me that Joseph Smith is a Holy Ghost, even though section 130 says that at the time of G, uh, Joseph Smith, Jesus is saying that God the witness had a spirit body. So I don't know. I just, I'm just like, I'm so tired of arguing about these things. Like, it doesn't matter what you bring up. Like, I can't see it any other way because I know who God the Witness is <laughs> and whether or not God the Witness was incarnated as uh, Joseph Smith at some point doesn't make a big diff- big bit of difference to me. Like, I don't know. I just did something that drives me nuts. But anyway, let's see here. This had also been taught in 1909 in the Liahona or Elder's Journal and LDS Church publication. And we're on page 31, but here's the quote. Question. As Adam was an immortal being when he placed, when he placed here on earth and commanded to multiply, would not his offspring have been immortal but for the fall? And that is MPF from Logan, Utah. I don't know what MPF is, but this is continuing on with the quote. Answer, yes, but they would have had spiritual bodies only and not bodies of flesh, blood and bone. They would not have bodies of flesh, blood and bone. When Adam and Eve were first placed in the Garden of Eden, they had resurrected bodies in which there was no blood. So when two individuals um, procreate, I guess, 
and they're celestial beings, they create spirit. When two telestial beings procreate in mortality, they create mortal beings. When one individual procreates with uh, and is in a ter- terrestrial state, and he procreates with somebody who's in a telestial state, that means, or that makes it possible for a savior in a world to exist. And that's what Jesus was. That's why he was the only begotten, but that um, obviously our Father in heaven has begotten us all. Um, but I guess you'd have to understand the law of adoption and the progression of the gods and a whole bunch of other stuff to really understand it correctly. But um, because Jesus' father was part terrestrial and, well, was fully terrestrial, and that um, Jesus' mother was fully telestial, you've got a man who can die but still has the uh, immortal power of God. So, um, I'll go back just, just to explain some things real quick. We know by quotes that we talked about on the last radio, radio program that Michael came to this world with one of his wives, Eve, or Hava, or or, her name was Ashura, but uh, when they came upon this planet, they took upon themselves the name of Adam Amen and Hava Amen, who are God, the eternal father and mother. And they descended from a celestial state of resurrection and, uh, you know, the veil was placed over their mind and they became terrestrial beings. While in the garden, they were in immortality until they partook of the fruit and they fell. And then they became telestial. But Adam and Eve never did die. At the end of their life, they were translated and became terrestrial again. And this was important so that Adam and Eve, who have received their exaltation, because you cannot be married in the celestial kingdom unless you've received your exaltation, and that was because Michael was a savior on an older earth. So he, God, the uh, Yehovah our Elohim, who is the grandfather of Jesus Christ, not Jesus Christ, and I've explained it so many times on the radio programs, I'm just not even going to get into it. But um, but he brought them back up into himself and prepared a place for them. And then later on, when the city of Enoch was taken up on the earth, where the Gulf of Mexico now is, um, you have a bunch of people in the Church of the Firstborn who are all translated terrestrial beings and then later on after the flood you had the city of Salem be taken up which they're all uh, you know translated telestial beings when Jesus was sired by his father 
he was a terrestrial being and he had an uh, like he had Jesus the only begotten in order to do the the work of redemption for this earth and after his death and resurrection he went to Mary and he said touch me not or hold me not for I have not yet ascended to my father but go unto my brethren and tell them I ascended my father into your father talking about father Michael who is Adam and to my God and to your God talking about Jehovah our Elohim who is Jesus Christ's grandfather now real quick just for any Christians who might have stumbled upon this podcast when Jesus was upon the uh, on the cross and the thief was talking to him what does he say to the thief verily I say unto you today shall thou be with me in paradise but three days later he tells Mary at the garden tomb on the day of first fruits touch me not for I have not yet ascended to my father so for you trinitarians out there how is it that jesus christ can be both the father the son and the holy ghost because that's what you believe just boiling it down to the the basics how can it be that jesus is the trinity when he had not yet been to where the father was at three days before he went to the garden tomb he can't it's because the father and the son are two different individuals In the book of Revelations, it says that Jesus Christ hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, showing a plurality of gods. And who was he talking about? He was talking about our father, Michael, who became Adam, who is the only God with whom we have to do. He's like the next in line. He's the first president of this earth. Now, there's a God above him, and that's Jehovah our Elohim our mighty one, who is already an exalted God. But underneath of him, you've got God, our Father, who is the Creator, God the Creator, who is the Father, God the Redeemer, who is the Son, and God the Witness, who you call the Holy Ghost. The the Trinity is false doctrine. Now, now, um, Jesus Christ becomes our Father, through the law of adoption because he paid for us in the garden of Gethsemane and sealed that upon the cross. And by that's what the law of adoption is. So our father, Michael, who was Adam was a savior on an older earth where we once dwelt in the pre-existence of this earth. And he paid for our sins and transgressions And he was exalted and he had a wife who came with him to this earth after he helped create this earth. And he's still our father, but he's our father physically and spiritually. Where Jesus Christ is our father spiritually only, but he will become our father physically in the next mortal round. Talking about earth rounds, not not like reincarnation or anything like that hold on here i gotta pause it for a minute okay sorry about that i had to cough and i don't want you to hear that so (laughs) um let's see here when adam and eve were placed first in the garden they had resurrected bodies 
in which there was no blood. And I've said this before, and I'm just going to point it out. The only way that you're married, husband to wife, in the celestial kingdom is if you've already received your exaltation. When Michael brought one of his wives as a resurrected being, it was because he was already had already received his exaltation. Just some meat for you to chew on a little bit. Anyway, a spiritual fluid or substance circulated in their veins instead of blood. Consequently, they had not power to beget children with tabernacles of flesh, such as human beings possessed. The fall caused a change in their bodies, which, while it was rendered them mortal, at the same time gave them power to create mortal bodies of flesh, blood, and bone for their offspring. See, Michael bought us through the suffering of a Garden of Gethsemane type event when he was a savior on an older earth where we once dwelt. And he became our father spiritually through the law of adoption and then became our father physically through the uh, through the Garden of Eden and through creating this earth and becoming an Adam for this earth, the first president of this earth. And the older earth, Jehovah or Jehovah or Elohim was the father of that world. And there was one above him, just like it is now. It's the same pattern. Jehovah was an Adam. In a prior mortal probation, Jehovah was a redeemer. And in a prior mortal probation, probation, Jehovah was God the witness. Just like Michael was a witness for his first president. He was a second counselor in the first presidency of an older earth. When on the same earth where Jehovah was a redeemer. And then Michael moved up to becoming a redeemer. And Jesus Christ was God, the witness of that world. And Jehovah was an Adam to that world. And now we get to this probation. And Michael is an Adam to this world under the direction of his Redeemer, Jehovah, who is our Elohim. And Jesus is our Redeemer. <clears throat> and by the way, I know I'm going to throw everybody off. and You've heard this before, so I'm not... I've been told to be bold with my witness, and I'm just going to tell you that I am the witness. When Joseph Smith said that that the Holy Ghost is waiting to take himself a body to come to do the same or similar things that Jesus did, I'm here, prophecy fulfilled. And I would never have uh, believed it, because it's kind of funny, like, God was trying to tell me some things about myself being the one mighty and strong, which, by the way, in 2013, God showed me that under the direction of Jehovah our Elohim, there are God the Creator, who is Michael, who is mighty and strong, God the Redeemer, who is Yeshua, who we call Jesus, who is mighty and strong, 
and another was called Mighty and Strong, who stood in the office of the bearer of light and truth. And if you know what I'm talking about, you know who Hillel is, which in Latin is called Lucifer, which is a title for the office of the Holy Ghost. And when that man rebelled in that office, there was a war in heaven, and he was cast out, and he became Satan, and God chose another from among the quorum of twelve who were mighty and strong before the foundation of this earth, and I was that man who stood in that quorum, and I was chosen to become the witness. That's why I have seen them face to face in the flesh. That's why I know so much about so many things, because God has prepared me for a time such as this to be a witness to the what's going on in the world at this time, but also to be a witness to the world that God lives, that I have seen them face to face. And I know that's a hard thing for people to understand, and you think that I'm boasting but I have been commanded to be bold in my witness. I would rather not say anything about it. My favorite thing to do at church is to sit on the side and just comment on things. I don't want to be in front of people. I don't like my heart pounding out of my chest, but I do love to teach the gospel, but I like to do it from the sidelines. So there's a program that I am on every week, Monday and Tuesday nights when I'm driving. And I don't know who knows. I don't know if any of them know who I am, but I would rather they didn't know who I am. I don't want people to treat me differently. I go to a church because we have been cast out of the LDS church, even though President Monson told them not to, you know, not to to do things like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm going off on tangents. I was excommunicated because I believe in plural celestial marriage. Not trying to live it, wasn't even trying to teach it at the time. I was not vocal about things. I would keep things at a very basic level, even like the comments that I would make in class were all backed up because I study, you know, and I would stick to the topics and I wouldn't go off on uh, tangents, but when I got married, I talked about the Adam God doctrine and I talked about plural celestial marriage with my mother in law who was grilling me all the time about all these things. So we talked about it, and guess what? Like, lo and behold, I get called into the stake president, and I'm not going to lie, I wasn't teaching it, but yeah, I told him I believe in the Adam God doctrine and I, I tried to show him how it fits, and then there was some other things too where I talked about my some of my spiritual experience and the fact that in my patriarchal blessing it says that I have been sealed up unto eternal life. A prior stake president and stake patriarch, when I asked them what that meant, they said it's be, it it you've already qualified to have your calling and election made sure. I received that in 1997. I was sealed under the hands of the Father up unto eternal life and given the fullness of the priesthood and all the keys in 2003.
But I didn't talk about that with that stake present. I just talked about the Adam God doctrine. And guess what? He grew so red in the face. And I was like, I wasn't even prepared. You know, why? I just, you know, he asked to talk to me. And like, I get blindsided by this guy who becomes very hostile, who gets beat red in the face, who is yelling. And I'm not yelling. He's yelling. He has never even met me. This guy, I just got married to my wife and moved from Florida, from St. Petersburg, Florida, down in Tampa Bay area, up to upstate New Hampshire. And our stake president was over in Birmingham, Vermont, or Birmingham, I think, Burlington. I don't know. I always get that mixed up. I think, no, I think he was in Montpelier. It was a Montpelier, Vermont stake that we lived in because we lived right on the border of uh, Vermont and New Hampshire, about 50, 50 miles maybe from Canada. Anyway, so like I meet this guy one day and then he like is going to excommunicate me. And I was an over the road truck driver at the time. I was trying to get home. I called him. I said, there's no way I'm going to be able to make it back to be at my trial can we please reschedule it so i can be there and at the time i was driving out of hartford connecticut i had to drive all the way up north on my day off to to go home and then i had to drive all the way over to montpelier from where we lived which was a long drive and i wanted to be there because I had a right to be there. There's supposed to be, uh, I think it's six on my side and six on the opposing side. But he said that I didn't need to be there, that I was going to be excommunicated anyway. So I wasn't even allowed to go to my own trial. Because I believe the Adam-God doctrine, which is taught, which was taught, and we're showing it right here. After my excommunication, we uh, came out to Utah to visit family. My wife was seven months pregnant, but my semi-truck had to have a major overhaul, and it was going to take two weeks to do it, so I didn't have a job for two weeks, so we're like, okay, well, we had this money saved up. Let's go visit my family. My wife had never met my family. And when we got out here... She started having pregnancy problems and we had to stay. We could not leave. We got stuck here. So I transferred from Hartford, Connecticut FedEx to North Salt Lake's FedEx. And I just drove out here and we lived with some friends in, in Roosevelt. And then my wife loved it so much out here. She didn't want to go home. So we stayed. Because she loved being among LDS people. We got into this ward in Spanish Fork and the stake president personally wrote President Monson and asked him what he should do with me. President Monson knows exactly who I am. I dated his niece. I dated President Hinckley's niece and I was married to President Hinckley's niece for a time. And we used to go to church at the Joseph Smith Memorial Building with President Monson and President Hinckley. 
and others of the apostles. Now, I have to make this caveat. Yeah, Monson did go to that church. That was the church he was assigned to. But he enjoyed going to his home ward over the one that he was a bishop at over on 3300 South on the east side. Well, it was south of 3300. I think it was 3300 South, maybe. You think? I'm trying to visualize it. My, it's been a long time since I've been over there. But President Hinckley's family lives over there too. And in fact, L. Tom Perry was sent by President Hinckley to interview me about my experience in 1995 where I was taken up into the Holy of Holies in the middle tower on the eastern side of the Salt Lake Temple and I stood in the presence of the Father and the Son in that place in the Spirit, but that it did happen. And they interviewed me about it. And and L. Tom Perry, who was still alive during this time, slapped me on the back. And this was in 2004, but like the excommunication was 2013. Anyway, he slaps me on the back and he said, well, God's one that chooses his prophets because we sure don't. President Monson told my state president to allow me uh, to speak in church, to participate. That he said that I just shouldn't uh, ha- uh, like offer the prayer or uh, partake of the sacrament. So when we lived in Spanish Fork, we participated in the ward. And it was funny because, like, I used to comment, like I do in Sunday school, and I just love speaking the truth and and opening people's eyes and helping them to get closer to God. And so I would speak from the side. I always sit on the side with my back to the wall because of post-traumatic stress and things, whatever. But it's just, you know, and I like to see everybody. And I would comment, and people would feel the spirit so strong, and they would they would thank me all the time for sharing my insights. And then they would find out that I wasn't a member of the church. Now, I didn't choose to to be cast out, but that's the way it is. I was I was cast out for apostasy for believing something that was taught in the early history of the church. Now, I wasn't even teaching it. The only reason anybody knew about it is because I would talk to my wife about it. She would talk to her mom about it. Her mom would ask me questions. I was truthful and I would respond. And then she reports me and I get called into the stake president's office not even knowing what the deal was. He just wanted to meet me. I thought it was because... I just married one of the the ladies in his stake, and he wanted to meet me. But that wasn't it at all. It was a it was an attack. It was a blindside attack. But anyway, so I can like participate in the meetings in Spanish Fork, and then God told me to leave Spanish Fork and to take my family with me and to warn every one of you who won't listen to me and everyone else to leave the populated areas. That was in 2016. 
He told me that Emory County was a place of safety and gathering until the time comes that it gets too dangerous to remain here. And then he instructed me on where to go after that into the wilderness. So I'm here in Emory County and I'm going to stay here until he removes me from this place. But when I come down here, the stake president doesn't follow what President Monson said in my file. And he actually tells the bishop to threaten me with um, trespass if I even speak to anybody on church property. And I don't want to be trespassed against the church because I like to go to Temple Square. I like to go to music and the spoken word. I want. I would love to be able to bring my kids to church, but I can't because I'm not going to be shut up. That ward became so hostile with that the leaking of the information from that state president and that bishop that it was just a hostile... A ho- and you know what? Damage was done. My wife hates the LDS church now. She used to love it, and I would love to go back, but we can't because the members of the church have treated us in such a way that it is hostile for my family to go to church with them. I mean, you have no idea how many times I I get um, name-called and threatened or how many times I have been threatened with harm or death or the fact that they're going to find out where I live and take my kids away from me through CPS like because I must be abusive because I'm mentally deranged or whatever crap comes out of their face so no I don't go to the LDS church anymore I sometimes go among fundamentalist churches in fact the AUB over in uh, Mount Mount Pleasant was trying to recruit me a couple years ago and I won't talk about that story because God has a calling for me already. I don't need to be in a church. In fact, he's told me not to allow anyone to place themselves in authority between me and himself because I am his witness. So I go to a church in Price, Utah, where people don't know my claims, where I'm treated like a normal individual, which I am thankful for. Like, there is a degree of protection doing these programs like this where I can talk about these things. And I, I'm i doing it because if I don't, I feel like the Spirit is withdrawing from me. God's Spirit withdraws from me, so I do it because I, I'm addicted to His Spirit. I love Him, and I love my Savior. And they've asked me to do this, but I don't like it when people at work know who I am. I don't like it when they hear these words. I don't like it when people at church know who I am. And this group that I go into on Mondays and Tuesdays and we have these Zoom calls. I love the fact that I can direct the discussion by giving certain comments in key places just to get people to think, but they don't know who I am. Because I don't want you to lift me up 
like I'm some great person because I had an experience. I want you to turn to God and Jesus Christ. Now let me teach you a principle about the Godhead. The Father sends God the witness or the Holy Ghost to you to testify to you of truth that leads you to the salvation of God the Redeemer or Jesus Christ so that you can be forgiven of your sins and transgressions and come back into the presence of the Father. That is the circular role of the Godhead. The Father sends the Holy Ghost to bring you to the Savior so that you can come back into the presence of the Father. My job is to bring you through testimony and testifying of truth to bring you back into the presence of the Father through the redemption of His only begotten Son. Now, this goes on. Uh, Let me just... I think I... I think I read this part, but I'm going to read it again. This is still the quote. Consequently, they had not power to beget children with the tabernacles of flesh, such as human beings possess. The fall caused a change in their bodies, which, while it was rendered them mortal, at the same time gave them power to create mortal bodies of flesh, blood, and bone for their offspring. This is a very brief explanation of a very important subject. And that was from the Liahona or Liahona magazine, volume 6, page 33. Did you know that Liahona is an Aramaic word that means compass? Like, I know, random facts. But the Liahona was a compass. It wasn't called, it was called a, a ball or a director. It wasn't called a compass until later in the Book of Mormon. But it means compass outside of the Book of Mormon. I don't know how Joseph Smith just came up with that because he didn't. But anyway. All right, back on topic. It has been taught that God once had blood, then was resurrected to immortality without blood. Quote, man is the offspring of God. Who can fully realize this? Our Heavenly Father ordered all things that pertain to this earth and to multitudes of worlds of which we are ignorant. So God the Creator created this world under the direction of Jehovah, our Elohim. Michael is the Creator. When it says God, the the gods created this earth in the book of Moses, in the book of Bereshit or Genesis, who were those gods in the endowment? Michael and Adam, they were called gods. The gods created this earth. Jehovah was sent under the direction of the Elohim or the councils of the gods to take Michael to create this earth. And who created this earth? The gods. Jehovah, our Elohim, our mighty one, and Michael, our creator. God the creator. God the father. Same difference. 
we are as much the children of this great being as we are the children of a mortal of mortal progenitors. We are flesh of his flesh, bone of his bone, and the same fluid that circulated in our bodies called blood once circulated in his veins as it does in ours. Brigham Young, Journal of Discourses, Volume 9, page 283. Let me see here. Just got to try to see where I'm at here. Oh, okay. So we're about halfway through it. And I talk too much. I know that's why I did the reader program at first. If you want to listen to it, great. If you want to read it, it'll be available for you to read. You don't have to listen to my commentary, but here it is. All right. Quote, shall we, by the atonement, be restored into the condition Adam was in before he fell? I answer you, I answer you will be. What condition was he in? He was an immortal being, and you will be restored to immortality whether you be a saint or a sinner. The decree, the decree has gone forth that every man is to be raised to immortality. Then you will be as an Adam was in the Garden of Eden before he fell. Orson Pratt, Journal of Discourses. Volume 7, page 257, and also volume 21, page 203, which talks about the same, basically the same stuff. But that quote was uh, Journal of Discourses, volume 7, page 257. We're on page 32 for those of you who are following along. Understanding the nature of blood in relation to man's immortality is necessary to comprehend the doctrine that Brigham Young was teaching. The forbidden tree, says Brigham, contained in its fruit the elements of death or the elements of mortality. By eating of it, blood was again infused into the tabernacles of beings who had become immortal. So this is one way that you can descend from being a celestial, exalted man and woman to sire children on an earth that you helped create. When you partake of the fruit of the earth, you have the seeds of mortality infused in your in your system of light which is the the system of uh, uh, you know there's blood in mortal beings there's light in immortal beings part of the reason why Jesus says he can't partake of the fruit of the vine until a certain point is because there is death in the vine it would bring him back down before it was time for him to come back down oh but he will come back down at some point because he will drink of the fruit of the vine and he will descend from a exalted resurrected state into mortality with one of his wives and he will become uh, telestial again from a celestial state like Adam did 
and he will become the father of an earth. He is our father through the law of adoption because he paid for us with his sacrifice in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he will be our father physically when he becomes the Adam of an earth. The basis of mortal generation is blood. Without blood, no mortal can be born. Even even could immortals have been conceived on earth, the trees of life have made but the paradise of a few, but, more, but mortal world has the object of creation then. Eve, Hava, who was Ashura, that was her name when she was with Michael before they were exalted, Michael and, or Michael and Ashura, Became, they took upon themselves the name of God, the Eternal Father and Mother, who are Adam, Amen, and Hava, Amen. And I don't know why we call her Eve. It's just a transliteration. But Hava was the true name, is the true name of God, the Eternal Mother. Eve partook of that, of that suffer, supper in the Lord's death first. She ate of that body and drank of that blood. Be it to Adam's eternal credit that he stood by and let our mother, our ever-blessed mother Eve, partake of the sacrifice before himself. Adam followed in the mother's example, for he was great and grand, a father worthy indeed of a world. He was wise too, for the blood of life is the stream of mortality, and quote, Women of Mormondom by Toolage, page 198 and 199. And when I sit in these Christian churches, whether they be the Seventh-day Adventist church or a Baptist church or a Pentecostal or any of these churches, and they want to sit there and, and criticize Adam without understanding who Adam really was, it makes me so angry. And I, I can't control... The fact that I look angry. I can bite my tongue, and I do oftentimes. But my face will turn beet red just like that state president. And I, these people in their ignorant apostate Christianity, they think they know so much, and they just don't. Anyway, I was trying to, to share some thoughts on Adam... Because this guy was criticizing Adam. How dare, how dare Adam take of the fruit? Why would he do such a thing? Well, would there be a need for a savior if he didn't? Or would we have the experiences of mortality if he didn't? We are here on this earth. And and like they, they know that God is all-knowing, right? God is all-knowing. Okay, if God is all-knowing, why did he put the tree in the Garden of Eden? He didn't have to do that. There was a reason for it. Jesus Christ was chosen to be the redeemer of this earth before the foundation of this earth. Why would we need a savior if there wasn't going to be a fall? The fall was on purpose. The only way we become the physical children of a God is for him to descend from his throne to become immortal on the earth. 
Jesus said, I do nothing except for what I've seen the Father do. And he will do what the Father has done when, in the book of Revelation, it talks about there being a new heaven and a new earth. We are taught that Adam possessed a physical, tangible body of flesh and bones. Therefore, he must have been a resurrected being. A resurrected celestial celestialized body can propagate propagate only spirit children that's through the law of adoption the early church leaders didn't quite get a grasp on this but I'm telling you now the only way that we are begetting spirits uh, because you know what we all were intelligence at one time we weren't born in the womb of a spirit of a celestial woman When we became self-aware, there was a flash of light. And this is what I have seen in the Spirit. And this is what I have been taught by the Father. When we become self-aware, there is a flash of light. And there is a a female spirit and a male spirit. These are the twin flames or soulmates or whatever. That is that. That's what that is. But you've got a male and a female spirit. And they are taught by those who have gone before them. I saw in vision God, the eternal father and mother, become self-aware. They were in intelligence. They became self-aware. They became of the spirit of mother and spirit of father to all of us. And they are one together, husband and wife. And there are none that stand beside them because they are first and their glory is more. You can't even, unless you're prepared for it, to be in their presence is to be wiped away as the dust of interstellar space. You cannot come into their presence until after you have received your exaltations. But I did see a vision of them. Our Father wanted to show me the truth. The only way we become His children is through the law of adoption in the spirit of a Garden of Gethsemane type event. And that's how Jesus becomes our father and we become his children. Because he paid for us with his own blood in the Garden of Gethsemane and he sealed it upon the cross and he broke the bands of death and all of that. That's how the father was once a redeemer and was once God the witness. That's how Jesus Christ was once God the witness and became God the Redeemer and is now our Father spiritually and in the next world he will become our Father physically just like Adam did because Jesus Christ is the second Adam but he will become the first we are taught that Adam possessed a physical tangible body of flesh and bones therefore He must have been a resurrected being. A resurrected celestial body can propagate only spirit children. 
The problem at this point is to introduce the seeds of death into his body so that he might propagate mortal bodies for his spirit children. The human race needed a mortal father, father to initiate mortals here on the earth. Since Adam did not possess the seeds of death, it was necessary for him to infuse them into his system. This could be accomplished only by partaking of the coarser elements of mortal food, thus materializing blood into his system. Mortal food was considered the tree of good and evil, but what would have been the result if he would have again partaken of the tree of life, which is the celestial food of resurrected beings? Page 33. And now lest he put forth his hand and partake also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore I, the Lord God, that in Genesis, everywhere it says Lord God, it literally says Jehovah Elohim, or Jehovah your mighty one, your exalted one, your God. I, the Lord God, sent, will send forth, send him forth from the Garden of Eden. And that is in Bereshit, or Genesis chapter 3, Verses 28 and 29 of the Inspired Translation. Immortal beings who partake of mortal food for a long period of time will again become mortal. Conversely, all mortal or immortal beings who partake of the spiritual food from the tree of life will become immortalized or translated and not be subject to death. And that's Alma chapter 42 verse 5. Adam's mission was to step down into mortality for a thousand years and bear mortal children and thus become the father of the human race. When his mission was fulfilled, it is said that he died. However, the scriptures also tells us that Moses died, but we read that it was probably translated, consequently avoided the, uh, avoided the grave. Because... Uh, it, Moses didn't die. He was translated. Our father Adam did not die. He went from a telestial state with his wife and became uh, terrestrial again. They didn't die. Elijah was taken up into the clouds. He didn't die either. And John the Baptist, or not John the Baptist, John the Revelator, Jesus says, there stand some of you here today who will stand on the earth when I come again. And the Jews want to, like, mock the Christians. Well, they've been saying that, you know, that in that generation that uh, Jesus said that he was going to come right back because he said this thing. Read the last chapter of John, will you please, you Jews. And, And you know what? I'm a Jew as well. I, my lineage comes from, through King David. Our family have kept that, uh, that, those records. Um, my, grand, my grandmother was Czechoslovakian Jew. It was John the Revelator who was translated 
and became a a terrestrial being to walk the earth. And he is still here. He is still walking around. He was at, at Joseph Smith and Oliver Oliver Cowdery saw him. They saw Peter and James, who were resur- or who were resurrected beings. But John was or John was translated, and he held the keys. After Peter and James died, he held the keys, and he passed them on to Joseph Smith. And I have a friend who is very well acquainted with John the Revelator. And apparently John the Revelator enjoys sports cars because he's been walking everywhere for the last 2,000 years. And once there was cars available, he loves them. He loves the technology of this time. And he is still walking around on the earth. Now he can go back and forth between here and the city of Enoch the city of Salem and the city of God, Mount Vashel and all of that. Or he can be on the earth. And I don't think I've met him. I don't know, though, because the scripture says, Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. And I think that's in the book of Hebrews or Galatians, but it's been a while. It's in the New Testament. Anyway, back on track. Death in this instance meant to depart, which can be said of either entering the grave or being translated. Whether we be buried in the grave or enter paradise as Adam, Moses, Enoch, or, or Elijah, it is a death to the continuation of mortality. So, All right, so you know how I talked about there being 12 who are mighty and strong, along with the first presidency. There's 15 in all. When Adam came down on this earth, that was the beginning of the first dispensation. Now, there's dispensations within dispensations, and they say this is the last dispensation, but the millennium is also a dispensation separate from this dispensation. This is not the last dispensation. Anyway, Adam started out the first dispensation as the father. And four of his generals, who are mighty and strong, who are part of the Quorum of the Twelve, who are mighty and strong, came and three of the four are mentioned here in this quote. Well, four out of five, because Adam is mighty and strong. He is God the Creator. And then you had Noah, who was... Well, you had Enoch, who was mighty and strong. You have Noah, who comes after him, who was mighty and strong. Then you have Moses, who comes after him, who is mighty and strong. And then you have Elijah, who is mighty and strong. Now, underneath the Quorum of the Twelve and the Quorum of the First Presidency are the Noble and Great Ones. Many of the prophets come from that division of Noble and Great Ones, and they're the same as what the 70s are in the church today. Well, the church today doesn't understand 70s, but the setup is the same. Abraham was one of the noble and great ones. Anyway, let's see here. As Adam completed his mission, he would again partake of the free of uh, the tree of life and return to his previous immortal state. President Heber C. Kimball infers that this is what happened to Adam. 
I have been to the altar where Adam offered sacrifices and blessed his sons and then left them and went to heaven. Journal of Discourses, volume 12, page 188. And I've been there too. It's at Spring Hill where we call Adam and and it's still there. And Brigham Young said the same thing. Quote, when Adam and Eve got through with their work on this earth, they did not lay their bodies down in the dust, to re- but returned to the spirit world from whence they came. And that was recorded, that was Brigham Young, but recorded in the L. John Nuttall Journal, Volume 1, page 21. And he was, uh, I think he was the president, or he was the secretary of the president of the church. Anyway, if Adam was immortal as we are, he would have gone to paradise until Christ was resurrected. This would not be so if he were a celestial being. A celestial body cannot cannot literally die, for it is not in the economy of heaven for such a celestial resurrected body to ever again enter a grave. Adam is accredited with just such a body. Quote, When our father Adam came into the Garden of Eden, he came into it with a celestial body. Brigham Young, Journal of Discourses, Volume 1, page 50. Michael was a celestial resurrected being of another world. And quote, Women of Mormondom, page 179. From a lecture prepared and delivered by the Apostle Joseph E. Taylor in the Logan Temple, June 2, 1888, he said, quote, All that Father Adam did upon this earth from the time that he took up his abode in the Garden of Eden was done for his posterity's sake, for us, and the successor of his former mission as the savior of a world, and afterwards, and or now, as the father of a world, only added to the glory which he already possessed. This is an apostle in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who is teaching this doctrine. The modern church, they want to be friends with the world, so they give these things up. And they they have a curse of blindness that comes upon them because they give up the deeper doctrines for a mess of pottage, a mess of porridge. Continuing on with this apostle, if as the savior of a world, he had the power to lay down his life and take it up again, Therefore, as the father of a world, which is altogether an advanced condition, we necessarily conclude that the grave was powerless to hold him after that mission was complete. And no, this doesn't come from the Journal of Discourses, which the LDS Church will talk about, or like try to like throw it down the rabbit hole, or whatever, the memory hole. This, this was actually from the Deseret News. Deseret Weekly, December 29th, 1888. And that was the apostle in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who said this on June 2nd, 1888. His name was Joseph E. Taylor. Now, if the leaders of the church can never lead you astray, what in the world is he talking about with this whole thing that he's talking about? 
And don't don't you dare tell me, well, that's his opinion. This was taught as doctrine. Joseph Smith talked about this in the King Follett Discourse and the lecture at the Grove. And the, the leaders that came after him expounded upon that and made it more clear. And then they just reject it because they want to be friends with the world, which in itself brings a curse. Brigham Young exclaimed that the fall of Adam was a necessary part of the gospel plan and he knew all about it before he came to this earth. This is Brigham Young. In my fullest belief, it was the design of the Lord that that Adam should partake of the forbidden fruit and I believe that Adam knew all about it before he came to this earth. I believe there was no other way leading to thrones and dominions only for him to transgress or take that position which transgression alone could place man in to descend below all things that they might ascend to thrones, principalities, and powers for they could not ascend to the eminence without first descending nor upon any other principle. Journal of Discourses, Volume 2, page 302, and we're on page 35. The fall of Adam was neither an accident nor a a mistaken sin, but an integral part of the gospel plan. This plan was proposed designed and enacted upon previous to the foundation of this world and since Jesus was appointed to become the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world Revelation chapter 13 verse 8 it proves that the fall of Adam and the redemption of Christ were predestinated Adam's fall was the essential violation of the laws of health by introducing the elements of mortality into an immortal system. Blood would be supplanted in his veins and with it would come the seeds of death and mortality. So Adam introduced death, Christ would introduce the resurrection, and the blood of Adam provided mortality the blood of Christ would purchase immortality. And that is the end of that chapter. When I come back on to read again, I will be in chapter 4, The Law of Propagation, which starts on page 36. And, uh, you know, the only reason I'm doing this right now, it's it's the 21st day of December uh, 2021. And it's 3 p.m. now. I've been recording for a little while. I I just woke up. And I... To go to the bathroom. And I thought, you know what? I need to, to, to record something. I have two hours. But I have to go to work. I'm going to go back and take a nap. But... It's hard to work a 12-hour shift. And then to do this. And try to do everything with the kids. They're still in school until uh, they their last day is tomorrow, the two older ones. And, uh, you know, I'm doing the best I can. And, um, I, I believe in the principle of work. 
I think my witness is more important than me working, but I have a family to take care of and I have a farm to operate, so that takes money, so I'm going to do what I need to do until there's a united order. (laughs) But uh, I'm just glad for the people who do learn from this, even if you do think I'm a nut job. I actually feel sorry for you because... If you reject me when God sent me, it's the same as rejecting him. But maybe someday you'll have your eyes open. So um, my aunt, my mom's sister, she received a revelation. Now, God had been trying to tell me for a while that I was mighty and strong. And I did not want to believe it. And then God gave my aunt a revelation that I was mighty and strong. And she kept bugging me about it. I'm like, you're getting revelation from the devil. I'm not anything. I'm just me, you know. And I just, I would just reject this revelation that my aunt received. And finally, God comes to me and he says kneel down before me and ask me who you are. And I'm like, sir, yes, sir, you know, fall on my face and and ask him. And then I was shown who I am and, and all of that and why I was chosen and we talked about it in this radio program, whatever. Anyway, but um, <laughs> there was this guy whose name was Paul. And I have not heard from Paul in many years. But it was funny because he used to, like, go over to my aunt's house and talk to her all the time. And they would sit there and they would, we would talk on the phone and they would listen to my radio shows and they would call in when I was doing the kingdom of God or nothing. And and even my aunt was on, uh, on the old radio program that I was a co-host on but anyway back in 2012 anyway but she kept on telling me that I was who I am and and then God finally showed that to me and now I know well Paul didn't know but he kept it open that that maybe he is who he says he is maybe he's not you know I don't know but he he teaches all these things and I really like listening to him so I'm going to listen to him And um, my aunt and I were talking, and I, I can't remember if she was listening to me or what, but anyway, she felt the spirit get really strong in the room, but it wasn't directed upon her, but she could still feel it. And she looked over on the couch, and Paul lurched forward, but he's sitting on the couch. He lurched forward with big old wide eyes and his jaw was dropped. And she said, what's wrong, Paul? And the spirit's like overwhelming him. And finally, he finally regains his composure and he says, the spirit just testified to me that Mark is exactly who he says he is. Now, that's nice that he knows that, but what is he doing? He lives in uh, up in Idaho, and I don't hear from him anymore. And you know, like, and this this guy that 
criticized me the other day the other day and told me how prideful I was. Like he's an independent fundamentalist. He doesn't allow anybody to tell him what to do and he doesn't do what God has told him to do either. But he wants to say that I'm prideful because I bear my testimony that I have seen the Father and the Son face to face and that I am who I claim to be. And I was thinking about it last night. People don't want to be controlled. And I don't blame them. And I'm not trying to control them. But you know what? I shouldn't have to come down here and talk about this stuff because all this stuff has been known. All this stuff has been known. Why do I have to say anything at all? To a church that has already had this information revealed to it. Anyway, I think we'll just leave it at that. Thank you for listening, everyone. Take care. God bless. And goodbye.